0: Yes. Can we also have some people sit up around <laughs> the stage? <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> it is great to be back this morning. I almost feel like in the evening, I should be down here. I don't know why. It's just kind of more casual. Um, so, in New York City, we have, as I said, teams uh, in different areas reaching out to different unreached people groups, and then we have teams on campuses, um, and we have, these, we have 20 to 30 people who come each year for training from different organizations. And uh, one of the things that we do both on campuses but also even in neighborhoods is we do English conversation groups as a way to meet people's tangible needs but then also engage them spiritually. And right now, and our desire is to engage them spiritually and then to find those people who are spiritually interested and then say to them, if we talk to somebody and they're spiritually interested, we say, hey, why don't you gather your friends and family together, and we can start a a Bible study where we can learn the Word of God, learn the Scriptures. And so right now, we probably have 150 unbelievers every week in discovery Bible studies. So we have 30 to 40 Bible studies every week, you know, seven or eight on Monday, seven or eight on Tuesday, Wednesday, with people studying the Word of God. And our desire is to see these people come to Christ, really see this discovery Bible study become a simple house church And on campus, for those who are going back, we want to see them go back and start Discovery Bible Studies and start churches. And this is really how we've seen six churches started in different places, people coming to faith in these Bible studies or in a simple house church and then going back. Um, In one of the conversation groups, there's a a student who, you know, was struggling with his English and he said, you know, when I try to speak English, my tongue gets all twisted. And... uh, the leader said, you know, well, we actually don't say tongue-yui, um, we just say tongue. Here, let me go back on this. We just say tongue. So when, you know, l- let me explain when you have a G that's followed by a UE, instead of saying tongue-yui, we just say tongue, the u-e is silent. And he said, you know, the rules of English are just so vague We said, uh, you know, okay, good, good, good English. But, you know, this is another example where the UE is following the G. So, instead of saying uh, vague UE, we just say vague. And instead of saying tongue UE, we just say tongue. And he started to get very frustrated, and he said, okay, let's not argue about it anymore. <laughs> so, you know, we do these English conversation groups. Actually, On campus this past year, we had a probably, we have this web platform that's called iLink, International Student Link, and we had probably 13 or 1400 people sign up to get connected with uh, iLink. And then we put probably maybe five to 600 in English conversation groups. But one of the things that they fill out when they register is we ask them questions. You know, we ask general questions, but then we also ask questions like, hey, are you interested, Uh, How interested are you in spiritual things? And they'll put something down between 1 and 10. Would you like to meet with someone to learn about Jesus or Christianity? And they'll say yes or no. And then we, you know, from these surveys, we actually engage those people who are spiritually interested. Anyway, one of the people who was there for our year training... Uh, met with one of the students in their group. And most of the students in our groups are either graduate students, so somewhere between 22 and 25, or visiting scholars. So there's a, a, a wide range as far as age. There was this one guy who was there who was meeting with one of our equipies, our interns, um, who said, you know, about five years ago, I was an imam, which is a Muslim priest, in Turkey. And I started to uh, date this woman, and it fell through, and it just really shook my faith. And I started to wonder and have doubts you know, what is true? Who is the true God? And uh, he started to drift away from Islam, and he went through more difficult times for a couple years, and then he started to cry out to God again and say, God, who are you? Who is the real God? I I need you to answer me. I don't care if you're the Muslim God, the Jewish God, the Christian God. This is the way he was explaining the story. And uh, he said, in the next couple nights, I had a dream in the middle of the night. And in this dream, God said to me, you will find out the truth about me when you move to New York City. And he said, so I moved here and I'm waiting to find out. And here God orchestrated this guy who had this dream. He comes to New York City and now he's sitting across a table with one of our people who wants to engage him spiritually. And this guy says, really, so you wanna learn about God? Are you interested in doing a discovery Bible study to read the word of God? So God is orchestrating amazing stories happening, stories that you think of only happen in faraway places. But listen, people from unreached people groups in all different parts of the world, they have a very different worldview than us. And they have a worldview where God and spirituality connect very closely and intimately with the physical world. You see, because of the enlightenment, you know, where science became king in the West, because of the enlightenment, we have separated spirituality from the rest of our lives. And because of that, we you know if someone is sick we don't think oh there's something spiritually connected here we think oh let's just you know find out the right find the right medicine for them but for them spirituality is connected with everything so they are experiencing spiritual things in god in a way that we don't so you talk to a muslim about anything the very first conversation they will start including god in the conversation from the very first time they start speaking you speak to a christian and you can have Months of conversation and God is never brought into the equation. And one of the things we're trying to train our people in is to live out loud, to turn the volume up, especially with people from these parts of the world, actually with anybody, but especially with these people from all different parts of the world, because when they meet a Christian and this person doesn't talk about God at all, when they talk about everything in life but God is not part of the equation, these people are thinking, these people aren't spiritual people. They don't think God's related to anything. And this is a real issue that believers have, that we are so quiet about our faith. We are so quiet about our walk with God. And, he, and really, in many ways, God does not intertwine with the daily activities of our lives. And that is a real problem with our cultural worldview, which is actually very anti-biblical. So anyway... It's just interesting how people are having dreams and visions and God's speaking to people in miraculous ways, but these are people who have come from distant lands, and it's actually a challenge to us. All right, let's go back to uh, one passage in the Old Testament, and then we'll move into the New Testament, because this passage, I really feel like in some ways gives a, a perspective, and this is by Solomon, and Solomon had just finished building the temple in the Old Testament, and now they're having this big service of dedication for the temple. And he starts to do this prayer of dedication. And in his prayer, Solomon specifically prays to God and asks God to answer the prayers of foreigners. Listen to what he says. And then we also see the reason why. And this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. It says this. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this temple, then do whatever your, you know, it says do whatever. uh, Let me see, I I, I lost it here. Uh, And do whatever the foreigner asks of you. Why, Solomon? So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Solomon says, first of all, pay attention to the foreigner who has come from a distant land. And and he prays to God and says, God, answer the prayers of the foreigner. Basically, he's saying, Lord, engage these foreigners spiritually. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. How does that happen? Foreigners hear the message. And then the message spreads along relational and family lines as they keep in contact, as they go back, as their lives are changed we had a graduate student on campus uh, from China probably five years ago. Um, He was in one of our English conversation groups, and then he was in a Discovery Bible study. And then he went through the Discovery Bible study, and he was in there. By the time April came, he said, I want to put my faith in Christ, and he got baptized in April. I started to disciple him. His name was Hang. And I said, I want you to write down on a piece of paper 20 or 30 people you know who need to hear this message of salvation in Jesus. So he wrote down the names of 20 or 30 people, and I said, "Hung, let's pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit which 5 he wants you to share with this week." So we prayed together and Hung said started to circle five different names. So he was going to share the gospel with the f- these five people this week. By the way, Which people does God want you to share with this week? So Hung is praying, and he writes circles names. One of the names is obviously someone very close to him. It was his mother. So he starts sharing with his mother through Skype. uh, Week after week, every week, talking to her about what he's learning in the Bible, how God's changing his life. Um, About the middle of the summer, probably June or July, his mother comes to Christ She puts her faith in Christ, and she's back in China, in a distant, remote kind of place in China where there's no church. So he says to his mom, he says, Mom, what I'd like you to do, and he's discipling his mother now. He says, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write down on a piece of paper 20 to 30 names of people who need to hear this message of Jesus. So his mother writes down the 20 or 30 names, and he says, Mom, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit which five you should share with this week. She does that, and she starts sharing with all the different family members. She starts sharing with neighbors. So in the course of the next two or three months, uh, about five or six family members came to faith, and they start gathering together. Then some neighbors next door, a whole family, came to faith, and now we have about 10 people who have come to faith, and Hung is now discipling his mother and kind of guiding them, and I'm guiding Hung, in how they should meet as a church. Remember, there's no other church in the area. Um, and so they just know that they've come to faith. They're studying the Bible together. We're guiding them about how to pray together, how to be a church, leading them through passages like Acts two forty-two to 47, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, guiding them along. I say to Hung, I said, "Hung, it would really be encouraging if in between semesters you could go back to China just to encourage them. And and kind of give them some more guidance. And he said, one, it's really expensive. And two, I have major projects that I'm working on. He said, I don't think I could do it. I said, Hong, just pray about it. And this is around October. So he starts praying about it. And we keep meeting week after week. One week, he comes to me and he says, God wants me to go back to China during the break. I said, really? He said, yeah, God communicated that he wanted me to go back. I said, really, how did that happen? He said, well, I was in a Chinese restaurant and I opened a fortune cookie. And... (laughs) And he said, inside, it said this, you will share good news with people you love. And he said, I knew from that point that God wanted me to go back and share, you know, and talk with them and encourage them. I said, great. I said, God's never spoken to me through a fortune cookie. But you know what? I'm not going to put God in a box. Great, you know. So um, he goes back to China. Now, remember, he's been a believer since April. Uh, he's now engaging his mother and discipling her, and then she's then discipling others. He goes back to China, baptizes five of those people. Now, here's a guy who just became a believer in April, and he's baptizing people, and the rest, you know, continued in the church. But this is the kind of, this is what we talk about. This is an example of Second Chronicles where it says, Pray for the foreigner who comes to us so that all the world will know. And it happens through relational lines. We'll look at another passage where we see the gospel spreading by reaching foreigners who come to us. All right, let's move on. Oh, let me tell you another story. Look at this picture here. This is a great great picture. One of the things that we teach in our program in New York City is from Luke 10, and it's basically this idea of what's called the person of peace. Um, And the person of peace is someone who will bring you in, bring a believer who's coming with a spiritual message, they'll bring you into their whole household so that the household can hear the message. So we tell our people, look, don't focus on individuals, focus on families. Don't focus on individuals. We try to never start a Bible study with one person. We always try to have them gather their friends and family together. Um, And so this is what we see in Luke chapter 10, where the person of peace welcomes this person in, they eat amongst them, they pray for the healing of their family, and so forth. A great example of this person of peace idea is from Acts chapter 10. You know the Roman centurion? What happens? He knows that Peter is coming with a spiritual message, so what does he do? He gathers all of his friends and family together, the gospels proclaimed, and who gets saved? All of them. All of them get saved. And what we've come to believe in New York City, and now it's a conviction, we're saying, look, when God is bringing the gospel into this person's life, we no longer think of that person as, a, as an individual. Now we say if God's bringing the gospel into this person's life, really he's bringing the gospel into their family, into their community. And we always now focus on the community. I always thought it was very interesting how Paul would say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And I thought, well, how can he say that? I mean, every person has to have faith on their own. He can't say that the whole household will be saved because they came from the same corporate communal mindset. They were not individualistic like we are in the West who just say, oh, you will be saved. The gospel's coming into the household. The gospel's coming into the community. So we're always trying to get people to gather their friends and family together. So anyway, um, we had these two people who are there for our one-year training and ministry, and they're in a shop, in a Nepali shop, and they're just shopping for a purse. And they're in there, and the guy who's working in there is watching them, and they can feel him watching. Do you ever go into a shop and you know the person's watching? You feel like turning and say, all right, look, back away. I'm just looking. But anyway, they feel him watching, and then he comes up to them. He actually turns out to be the owner. He comes up to them. They never said a word to him. He comes up to them and says to them, I believe in Jesus. And they were like, really? He said, yes, I, I started about 15 years ago reading the Bible, and I believe in Jesus. I've never been baptized. I don't go to church, but I want my people to know about Jesus. This is what he says. They said, really, why don't you gather them together, and we'll come and share with them. That weekend, he gathered about 10 people in his shop. They came, shared the gospel. Four four people said, I want to get baptized now. And the other said, we want to be in a discovery Bible study to learn more about this. And this is probably three or four weeks after that with a group of how many people are there? I don't know, 20 Nepali people coming together to learn the word of God and do discovery Bible studies. God is working in incredible ways where he's opening up the hearts of people to gather their family and friends just like the Roman centurion in Acts, and we're seeing people come to faith. And this is how churches are being started. We have another girl. Let me just tell you another Nepali story because this just happened in the last two months. One of the girls going through our equip program gets her nails done every week, Um, and she's in this shop, and I think it's she was in there just because she's trying to build this relationship. All Nepali people who work there, she's getting her nails done. And she is, she is a person who is like volume, like she, her, her, her Jesus volume is incredibly high. Her volume is up. She's talking about God all the time. Week after week, she's going talking about Jesus. And then she goes up to the owner, this was probably about six or seven weeks ago, and starts talking to him. And, and she says, you know, would you be interested in having a discovery Bible study to learn more about God? And he says, yes. So then... All of the employees and the owner started to close the shop early to have a discovery Bible study, nine people together. And this guy is passionate. He said, he said, I had a dream last night that I, you know, I should get rid of all of my idols in the shop and I need to put up a cross of since Jesus died for us. And God is changing people's lives And this scenario that I just talked about is about two months old. And we're praying for these people to see how this group can walk in and, and discover Jesus on their own. But look, we reach the foreigner and we reach the world. We reach the foreigner and we reach the world. All right. Now, Jesus, let's move to the New Testament. Does everybody here know that Jesus was a refugee? Jesus was a refugee. Now, he was a young refugee, but he was a refugee. Does anybody know why he was a refugee? Yeah, he went to Egypt. Exactly. Herod was seeking to kill all the boys under a certain age because, you know, he heard the story that the wise men came and that the king was born and so forth. So Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt as refugees to save their lives. Jesus was a small little kid at the time, but he was one of those kids that you see on the news being carried, just escaping quickly for their lives. Jesus was a refugee and then comes back. We see this in Matthew. We're not going to read this, but you can read Matthew 2 and we see about him going off into Egypt. Let's move on. Now, Acts chapter 2. The first movement of believers in the New Testament, the first major movement, was a movement of reaching foreigners. Acts chapter 2, actually in Acts chapter 1, it's interesting to me that Jesus says to the apostles, he says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I, th- and I thought about that for a while. I'm like, why? Why does he want them to stay in Jerusalem? I mean, the Holy Spirit can come down on them anywhere. They don't need to be in Jerusalem. What's so special about Jerusalem that he wants them to be there? What's so special about Jerusalem that he wants everything to start from there? Now, obviously, there's other larger theological reasons, but it's interesting in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, that it actually tells us why Jerusalem is so special. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from, where? Every nation under heaven. Jerusalem was this international city. People from all over the known world were traveling to Jerusalem because of the temple, because of the Feast of Weeks that was going on. I mean, this was an incredibly busy time at this period where foreigners were filling the city. What better way to get this new message of the gospel out into all the world than to reach foreigners when they come to you, hear them proclaim, I mean, hear, you know, allow them to hear the gospel and they carry it back. I mean, how more efficient can we get? So what happens is the whole miracle of Pentecost happens. Now, when we think of the miracle of Pentecost, we generally think of, oh, the Holy Spirit came down and indwelled people. But the, and that's part of it for sure. But the miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of God reaching foreigners. Listen to what happens. And I'll, I'll share this. Uh, actually, let me go back. I'll share that in a minute. So if you look in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, I don't have this text here, but it goes on to explain all the different foreign groups that are in Jerusalem. And all of these internationals start to hear the apostles speaking. And it says in the text that they all started to hear them in their own native languages. It says something, they started to say, now how is it that each of us hears them in our own native languages? And then it starts to list them. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. That's what it says. And then it, the gospel's proclaimed, and 3,000 people get saved on that one day. 3,000. 3,000 who? Foreigners. Foreigners from all over the known world get saved on that one day. And now they're there temporarily, just like international students or, or UN diplomats, they're there temporarily, and then they're going back home. What better way to get the gospel out into all the world? The miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of God reaching the, the migrant, the foreigner, the traveler, as a way to get the gospel out into the world. We had a girl in one of our English conversation groups on campus. She was from South Korea, which is a—it's not an unreached people group at all, but she came, and then she was in a discovery Bible study, and she came to faith put her faith in Jesus, went back to her country, and became a foreign diplomat for South Korea. About, and she would visit, and then her husband came with her one visit, and he came to faith. And so I started to disciple him. Then a couple years later, uh, South Korea sent them to the United Nations as diplomats, sent her as a diplomat. So they're there. They're a part of our house church. They are learning what it means to follow Jesus and proclaim their faith. About a year later, they started their own house church. Then about two years after that, which was probably about a year ago, um, their country said, You're now, we're now going to relocate you. You have an assignment in Bolivia. So they're now down in Bolivia, and they started a church down in Bolivia. So because they heard the gospel, because they came to faith, because we taught them how to engage people and start churches, now God is using them wherever they go to share the gospel and start churches. This is the picture of Acts chapter 2, where we see people coming from a foreign place and carrying the message back when they go back. Actually, it's interesting in Acts chapter 2 that it talks about people from Rome. Now, we know that the book of Romans was written by Paul to the church in Rome. Does anybody here know who started the church in Rome? Anybody? No, nobody knows. I mean, literally, nobody actually knows who started the church in Rome. Scholars do not know who started the church in Rome. But I know who started the church in Rome. like, you do? I actually do. It had to have been someone who heard the gospel in Jerusalem or Israel, carried the message back, shared it with their friends and family, people come to faith, and a church is started. And then Paul later, since they need more grounding, writes the book of Romans to them to give them a clear understanding of their faith. But a church already existed in Rome, and then Paul wrote later. But nobody knows who started the church in Rome. People hear the gospel, the message is carried by relational lines and family lines, and as people are traveling and people are coming to faith. This is exactly what we see Solomon talk about in Second Chronicles. This is exactly what we see happening as a result of Acts chapter two. God is reaching the nations. This is a picture of a Discovery Bible study that we talk about. Uh, so you know, as I said, we have probably 150 or so people in Discovery Bible studies meeting regularly weekly. Let's look at how God forces migration in order to spread the gospel. Now, Jesus said um, in Acts chapter 1, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the basically the ends of the earth. So, now, we know that it's easy to get settled. We know that it's easy to accumulate stuff and get comfortable. And we know that we can have really good intentions of going out and really being a part of the mission that God calls us to be a part of. We know that, but it's easy to get comfortable, and so it's, we just don't go. And so I think that's what might have been happening to the church in Jerusalem. That's what might have been happening to the church in Jerusalem. And so what does God do? God sovereignly allows persecution to come and look at what the result is. And I have to say that I can't deny thinking that there's a very strong connection between God allowing persecution and what the result is. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. Where? Judea and Samaria. Isn't that interesting? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Isn't that amazing? God told us to go. Going wasn't happening. Allows persecution to happen, and now going's happening. Not voluntarily, but God is orchestrating it. And all of the believers in Jerusalem were forced out, and the word of God begins to spread. Why? Because God is forcing. And how are they leaving? How are these people leaving Jerusalem? As what? Refugees. Refugees. Because there's persecution. We see a follow-up in Acts chapter 11. Look at what it says. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed during Uh, when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Why is it that God includes two times in in chapter 8, then again in chapter 11, this whole scenario of how persecution broke out, and it resulted in people being forced to migrate, and then the gospel spreading? You see, God not only divinely orchestrated it, but he wants us to know this. He wants us to know that, look, I want the gospel to go out, and I will find every means possible. I will I will work in the circumstances of life to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth, one way or another. And he calls us to say, hey, commit your life to this, and use your finances, use your time, use your, everything in your life to, to be a part of my mission to seek and save the lost. make this your calling in life. And he says, he welcomes us into this willingly, but then sometimes if it doesn't happen, he uses other means So it's just interesting how God does this. Now, I'd like to turn to Acts chapter 17. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but it's not necessary because I'm going to put it up on the screen. Okay, let's look at God's purpose in migration. We see this in Acts chapter 17. It says this. The God who made the world. Now, just as a quick background, Paul here is in Athens. So he's speaking to the Greeks. And he's basically Now, these are not believers. These are people who are worshiping unknown gods and have all different gods. And he starts to proclaim the good news to these foreigners, these unbelievers, as a missionary, basically. And in his uh, proclamation, we learn God's purpose for migration. Look at what it says. The God who made the world and all things in it. And then I'm going to jump just to 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation so that they would seek God. Okay, this is very interesting. What Paul is saying here is that God first orchestrates global migration. Look at what it says in twenty-six. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So God is orchestrating the spread of humanity around the globe. God did this from one man. And it says here that God determines where they will live. God determines where these people will live. Look at what it says in verse uh, 26 again. Having determined their appointed times, and the boundaries of their habitation. So, God determines two things here. He determines when people will live, and he determines where people will live. You know what I take from this? I take that when I see a foreigner on the street, that God divinely orchestrated them not only to live in this area, but to live at this time. And we see the reason that they would seek God. That they would seek God. So, Mohammed is walking down the street, and he's in Lancaster, or he's in Harlem, or wherever. God, through his sovereign wisdom, from before the creation of the world, divinely orchestrated that Mohammed, would be born during this period of history and that migration would bring Muhammad to Lancaster or to Harlem so that he can know God. That's what this passage is saying, so that they would seek God. And the interesting thing about this is that this passage is not just about Muhammad. This passage is also about us, that not only did God ordain the time and place where Muhammad would, the period in history that he would live and the boundaries of his habitation, but God also ordained when you would live. God could have had you live in any period of history. And God specifically, knowing your name specifically, said, you will live at this time. And you will live in this place. And now you see God divinely orchestrating you And you see God divinely orchestrating Muhammad. And you see God bring Muhammad within your sphere. He brings them right into your neighborhood, right into your supermarket, right into your workplace, right into, you see them on the street. And God did that. God orchestrated Muhammad to come and for you to come so that Muhammad would come to know God and seek him. How's that going to happen? That's going to happen. Now, you know what oftentimes happens? This. God brings Muhammad. God brings us, and we keep walking. And you know what? God still has Muhammad here. But listen, I'll tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe that we foiled God's plan. I believe this. We keep walking, and God says, I'll have someone else who will engage Muhammad and this person will come behind us and engage Muhammad, and Muhammad will come to faith. And then we will say, why is it that some people just lead so many people to Jesus? And the reason is because we keep walking, and they engage. They live out loud. And all I'm trying to say is that God is divinely orchestrating, divinely orchestrating Muhammad's life period of when he will live, the boundaries of his habitation, so that he will seek God. But God is also divinely orchestrating your life, when you will live, and where you will live, and the fact that you guys will come in contact with each other. You see, it wasn't a coincidence that this imam from Turkey met with one of our guys. God divinely orchestrated that. It wasn't a coincidence that, coincidence that these two girls who walk into a shop looking for a purse, it wasn't a coincidence that God had them walk into that shop. And that that God had that owner there. God was working behind the scenes. You see, God is going to accomplish his purpose. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That will happen, regardless of how we engage it or not. It will happen. It's a promise. The question is, do we want to be a part of it? Do we want to be a part of God's plan to seek and save the lost? The train is moving. The question is, are we going to get on? But it will reach the port where it's going. It will, maybe that's a ship, but it will reach where it's going. God's plan will be accomplished. And it's a beautiful thing, and God invites us into it. Michael, um, Michael was a student who came also uh, to New York City. He, again, same thing, was in a Bible, was in an English group, was in a Bible study. Um, then he became part of our house church. God really changed his life. He came here because his wealthy father, who owns this business in Taiwan, who does business with Japan, sent him to Columbia University, which is an Ivy League school. So he comes to faith. His life radically changes. His father sends him to Japan for two years. To learn Japanese. While he's there, he starts two house churches. Now he's in Taiwan, he started another house church, and he's been leading this house church for about seven years. You see, God is reaching the nations all over the place by bringing foreigners to us. God is reaching the nations. So many, so many stories. Uh, we had um, one of the things we do, we try to meet people in all different You know, we try to meet them on campus, we meet them in shops, we try to meet them on the street, we try to meet them in all different, at the community center that they go to. We're looking for all the avenues to meet and engage people. Um, One of our guys was out on the street and he was talking uh, to a group of people and this Tibetan guy walks by and overhears them. Now, let me just say this as a quick tangent. Don't be afraid to share the gospel out loud so that others can overhear. Because that's how God oftentimes works to bring people to faith. It's just by overhearing. I'll tell you, one of the hard things about New York City is that everything is so close and people are so jammed together. You know, now when you go to a restaurant, you sit and you're engaging this person here and literally like there's about an inch between your tables. And in the beginning, it takes some time getting used to, but you feel like they're listening to your conversation and they are. And the reason I know that is because I listen to their conversation and you try to act like you're not listening, but you can't help it. They're right there. So, you know, it used to be when I was engaging people spiritually, I'd feel a little awkward, but now I'm saying, hey, God not only orchestrated us to be here, God orchestrated these people to be here right next to us. I'm going to share the gospel and let them, either they're going to huff and puff and be like, you know, or they're going to, God's going to do something. Anyway, so these people are out on the street. Uh, One of our team members out on the street, just engaging someone, talking to them. This Tibetan guy comes up to them and said, I overheard you. Are you guys talking about Jesus? And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, we're talking about Jesus. And the Tibetan guy says this, last night, Look, I'm not trying to make theological points here. I'm just telling you the story. He said, last night I had a dream and I saw Jesus coming out of the sky and he pointed at me and he said, what does that mean? Our team members were like, I'm not really sure what that means, but let me tell you about Jesus. They told him about Jesus and the next day he put his faith in Christ. You see, God is working in miraculous ways and God divinely orchestrated this guy to walk by and hear the conversation. And you know what? His family in Tibet can come to Christ because of this guy. And we have story after story of people coming to Christ and the message going out. The same thing we see in Second Chronicles that Solomon said, pray for the foreigner and God answer their prayer so that the whole world will know. It's the same thing that we see in Acts chapter 2. And it's the same thing that we see in Acts chapter 17 where it says that God has orchestrated the d- divine place of, you know, that they will live and the time that they will live so that they will seek him we have to realize that migration is all through Scripture. God is sovereignly orchestrating migration in order to bring the nations to himself. And God calls believers like us to also think like foreigners. Now, this is the hard part. It's hard to think like foreigners because everything inside of us wants to settle down and feel secure. Everything inside of us wants us to be in control of our lives and our environments. You know, look, I'm no different than you. I like things to be stable. I like things to be secure. I like to be in control. And that's a bad spiritual trait that we all have, right? Don't we all feel that way? I just want to be in control. Don't want circumstances. I want to know where I'm sleeping, know what I'm eating, know how much I have in the bank, know what, where my kids are going. I want to be in control. Um, but God says, I want you to think like a foreigner, I want you to think like a refugee. I want you to think that any moment I can say, okay, grab your backpack and come with me, and you take nothing with you. It's interesting in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I want you to go and don't take any food, don't take any clothing, don't take anything with you. Just go. Well, can't we just go and share the gospel? Why do you got to give that command with it? Don't take anything. God has his purposes of us being vulnerable, But God calls us to think like foreigners. Hebrews 11, we can't explain all these passages, but they were given promises. And it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That's how God wants us to view ourselves. Lord, I'm just a foreigner and a stranger on earth. I'm just passing through. My life is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Lord, please begin to pry my fingers off my stuff. Please begin to pry my fingers off my control and my plans. First Peter says this, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. The same theme. Be a refugee, be a foreigner, be someone who's not settled down. 1 Peter 2, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Become a foreigner, become an alien, become a stranger to this world. When we do, we become ready to be used by God. We let go of reputation, we let go of control and we say God I will go I don't I will go and I will do and I will speak and I will engage and I'll just leave the results up to you. And that's when God begins to do incredible things. We used to think that you had to cross an ocean to do missions. And look, it's still extremely important. We need people to cross an ocean into this into the countries and there's so many advantages to doing that. But there's also all kinds of advantages, same number of advantages of reaching those who come to us. Missions is no longer just crossing an ocean. God is changing the whole paradigm of how missions is happening. Um, In a book called The Meeting of the Waters, Fritz Kling said this, the mission field today has become entirely multi-directional. And then he quotes a guy named David Wesley who said this, formerly, American Christians often felt that foreign missions necessarily involved crossing an ocean. But that saltwater missiology is obsolete today. Today, American Christians need to readjust their thinking of missions as something they go to over there in light of the fact that the ends of the earth have come over here. God is bringing the world to us. It's actually not new. I mean, we've seen this all through the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament, but it's new to us as far as thinking about missions. And it's important that we grasp it because that changes how we engage people. Uh, Missions is here. Missions is now. Um, And I want to ask, how does God want you to be a part of it? I can tell you this. We have 52 different unreached people groups in New York City, and we want to put teams in every one of them. We have, there are people groups all over the U.S. and we want to send teams. We're starting to raise up a team for Chicago. We have a team in Phoenix. We're looking at a team in Atlanta. God is is opening up opportunities all over the place. But we need workers. We need workers. We actually need funding as well. It says in Acts, uh, sorry, Luke 10, it says, pray, the harvest is plentiful. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. How is God using you? What place do you have? Why did God choose for you to be born at this time? Why did God choose for you to be born at this time? How are you going to fit into the story of the book of Acts, which has continued all the way up to today? We're just one more chapter in the book of Acts. Where is your name written? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just your sovereign hand in all of creation. Thank you, Lord, Uh, for this because it gives us assurance that we're not on our own. It gives us assurance that we can call out to you. It gives us assurance, Lord, that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. We're not just here, um, we're not just here just for no reason, just wandering through, that you have a plan and purpose for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, Guide each of us. May we call out to you and say, Lord, how do you want us to be involved in your plan to seek and save the lost? We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand. We're going to sing one last song tonight, and we're going to sing Savior of the World, and that's what God is not Savior of Americans or just us, but Savior of the world. So let's sing this out together.